welcome to the In The Money Players podcast, a very loaded edition of the show. I thought we might be light this week, but we've got so much good stuff happening from literally all around the world. And we're going to start off with a very special guest who I'm really looking forward to uh, chatting with on the show. We'll start with that, and then we're going to get to all the handicapping. First up on the show, very special guest, so happy to welcome for the first time to the In The Money Airwaves, trainer Mark Cassie. Mark, what's going on? Uh, well, we just, uh, I'm in Ocala. Uh, we got hit, it's interesting, we got hit harder by this tropical storm than we did the hurricane a couple of weeks ago. So uh, lots of limbs and trees and water. Everybody okay, though, human and equine? Yep, everybody's good. Well, that's good to hear. I would imagine, you know, in the horse business, you don't really get a lot of time to celebrate big wins like what happened to you at the Breeders' Cup last weekend, and Mother Nature has just uh, made a very obvious point of that. Uh, Mother Nature's the strongest. It amazes me what what she can do, and um, you're right. There isn't a whole lot of downtime. Have you had any time at least to have a, a proper celebration over this Philly Wonder Wheel, who I know you've been excited about for quite some time? Oh, you know, I'm not much of a celebrator, but, um, you know, we, we're enjoying it. I've, you know, I've watched the, the, re, the rerun, probably the replay five or six times, and um, she continues. It just, um, I thought it was one of the more impressive races that I've ever, you know, one of my horses has ever had. So I, I was extremely impressed with her performance. That's saying something coming from you, given all you've accomplished on the racetrack, uh, not just here, but internationally. And I know from the very beginning with this filly, you thought there was something special. How can you put into words what you saw about Wonder Wheel that made you so excited from the word go? Um, that's a good question because, you know, she broke her maiden. I thought she broke her maiden impressively. Going in, we always thought she was one of the top in her class of our horses. Um, so when we ran her first time, you know, I wasn't shocked that she she won so impressively. And then she came back and she did it again. And you know what? It, at Churchill, it was a it was a decent group. It wasn't, you know, a great group. Um, but I thought she won pretty impressively. But where she really started to show me she was special is when I had her up at Saratoga. And I knew before that she was pretty good. But um, a couple of her works and the way she handled herself, she's extremely smart. She does everything. Nothing bothers her. And just to watch her work and to watch her do it with effortlessly. I started saying, you know, that this Philly's this Philly could be special. And, and what I was, what I was comparing her to, you know, I've had a lot of good horses. Um, a lot of them were later developing like Teppin got stormy world approval. So I was comparing her really to classic empire the the horse you know we won the breeders cup with champion sure. and and in my opinion i thought you know she re, i thought she was as good if not better than him and i started seeing that in her probably at saratoga 
That's fantastic. I know Tyler Gaffleone too has gone very far out of his way to keep the, the mount on her under some wild circumstances up there at Saratoga in the spin away. That I, I I read that story. I thought it was interesting. Yeah, what happened was um, he Tyler has a, a a commitment to Tatar racing, and it just happened that there was a big race the same day as the spin away. So unfortunately, uh, Tyler, not, not because Tyler didn't want to be there, but he just had a previous commitment. And, um, so we had gotten Johnny and, um, I I remember telling Johnny a couple days before the race, he rode something for me. And I said, you're going to ride a special Philly for us this weekend. And, um, Tyler, they called me, so the race is canceled at Kentucky Downs. They not luckily they did it the day before or two days before because of rain. And I guess Tyler's agent texts me or or actually David Carroll. They called David Carroll. David Carroll called me. Assistant trainer. They'd like to come ride her and um, back. And I said as long as you clear it with Johnny. <laughs> and Johnny, you know that takes a lot of. Uh, I thought that that's that's. Johnny. Johnny is just a, a great guy. And um, so Tyler flew up, said, I'll ride her for nothing. <laughs> and um, I, I think Johnny got the, the money. Tyler rode the horse. <laughs> Amazing. And that, that has been rewarded with the two grade one wins since. Be honest with me, early on in the Breeders' Cup Juvenile Phillies, when she's farther back than than she'd ever been before, were you nervous for a second, or did you always have confidence? No, I was nervous. <laughs> I uh, <laughs> NBC had a camera on me, and uh, I'm sure if they never showed it, <laughs> they never showed it on the broadcast. But you could see um, we, you know, going into the race we we knew there was a ton of speed in the race and um we knew we were going to have to rate the good news she had done that before but i was at the wire the 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 regular wire so they broke at the 16th pole right and when she went by me the first time tyler was asking her to go and she wasn't going and i was like you have to be kidding me because I told Tyler in the paddock, the only thing I told Pat, Tyler was you're sitting on a better horse today than you were a month ago when she won the Alcibiades. I've never trained. She's trained good, but she's training great now. Mm-hmm. And so when they went by me, I was like, you have to be kidding me. <laughs> she's just not running. And then you could see her kind of get her act together going down the backside. But I never really... Somebody said, when did you feel confident? I felt confident when she went over past the wire. (laughs) I actually lost her a little bit. I was down. Um, I had my binoculars on her. And again, I'm I'm a 16th past the wire. And I saw her go into the bunch of horses. And I knew she was running. But I lost her for a second. And I was listening to Kurt Becker say, and here comes Wonder Wheel. So, uh, I said to my wife, that's her, right? And she said, yes. Because <laughs> I lost her. Honestly, I did. I lost her. I had binoculars on her. But she went into a clump of horses. And, yeah. You know, and a lot was said, and I agree. Uh, Tyler rode a tremendous race. 
there's no doubt that he he did, but it took a tremendous horse to win. Um, he had a checker or, or not checker so much, whole you know stopper forward progress at about the three eighths pole, maybe the seven sixteenth pole. Uh, he had to hold her progress up for about 50 yards. It's tough to overcome things like that. It's very and tough. Then, yeah. And, and to pass 10 in the lane. You, I would, yeah, I would tell you this, and this is my opinion only and not that it means anything. Had that same scenario been thrown at Classic Empire, he doesn't win the Breeders' Cup. Right. That's, to me, that's where I'm comparing. You know, Classic Empire had a tremendous, trip in the Breeders' Cup and he won, but beat not this time by a neck or a half a length. He could not overcome what she overcame. No, not very many horses could. I, You go through and to throw what was thrown at her to overcome it, I'm not so sure she wasn't five or eight lengths better than the rest. I mean, I hear what you're saying to to win that clear. And I love what you're saying about the the minds. I mean, Classic Empire sort of famously, obviously incredibly talented, but but maybe mentally a little bit temperamental. She seems so incredible. Drove me nuts. (laughs) Yeah, drove me nuts. Classic Empire. I don't have a lot of hair and I have a lot less from him. Um, An extremely talented horse. But and he had a great mind. He was extremely smart, but he didn't use it in the best of ways she is just brilliant and i don't know if you got to see um i was watching the replays she didn't want to pull up after the race i saw i mean she really just got rolling yeah Yeah. (laughs) she galloped out way in front of everybody else how far does she want to run do you think i mean on pedigree it feels like she you know should and the way she shapes on the track it feels like she wants to go longer what's your what's your gut Oh, I don't think there's any, she'll do whatever you want her to do. And, and as Tyler's always said, from when he first started riding her is she'll shut off when you ask her to shut off, which is incredible, you know, for a young horse. Um, she'll go if you want her to go, she'll slow down when you want her to slow down and she'll accelerate when you ask her to accelerate. So, uh, she's, uh, she's a dream horse for sure. How much of the course from here have you plotted out? Do, do you know what her next start will be? What are you thinking? Not really. Um, you know, it's something that I think we're going to enjoy what we accomplished this year. Um, obviously, she's got to be champion. Um, I, you know, she's going to either go the Florida route or she'll go the New Orleans route. I, I've had a lot, a lot of success. I say a lot of success. I felt like when we brought horses to the Derby and to the Oaks, you know, uh, Wonder Gadot nearly won the Oaks. I think Wara Will was on his game uh, Derby day. He just got unlucky. And so we've done that through New Orleans. And, um, you know, if you put a gun to my head right now and said, where are you going? I, I would probably think New Orleans. Um, the question would be, I would probably, if all goes well, bring her back against Phillies. And then depending on how she runs, she may even try the boys. That's exciting. That's an exciting prospect for sure. And I mean, if you've got that level of talent and maturity and mental uh, toughness, I would imagine that's the kind of thing that, that allows a Philly to take on the boys. Would you agree with that idea? 
Oh, 100%. And she's got some room for growth. She's a, she looks like a skinny teenage girl right now that still hasn't become a, a lady. And she's going to grow into a woman and she's going to be bigger and stronger. Um, the way I look at it, the juvenile obviously ran almost a second faster, or maybe it was a second faster. But I, I think we got in at least a second's w- worth of trouble. Yeah. So I'm not... I'm not concerned that the Colts ran a second faster. I think there's plenty of room for, we could have ran faster as well, had given different circumstances. So I don't, I'm not going to sit here and tell you that I think those Colts are better than she is. I don't, I don't agree with that. (laughs) That's great. I love the confidence and she's shown us all why you have that confidence in her and have had for so long. I have another question for you and you, you gave me the perfect lead in when you were talking about looking at different circuits to potentially run Wonder Wheel and your other charges at this segment is sponsored by the KTDF and Obviously, you you know you run horses in so many different jurisdictions, but I but I have noticed you know uh, a bit more of your activity happening in Kentucky. I'm guessing that has to do with some of the the purse increases made by the KTDF. Just curious to know at this point how racing in Kentucky factors into the overall Cassie picture. Well, it's a big factor, uh, obviously. Kentucky has become, without a doubt, the the toughest circuit in North America. Um, In the past, in the last year or two, I haven't been as active there as we have been previously. And a lot of it has to do, you have to remember, I trained for Live Oak, and all their horses are Florida breads. We have went, and obviously we have a big Canadian contingency to to, that runs at Woodbine <clears throat> to run a Canadian bread or to run a Florida bread in Kentucky isn't as lucrative. So what we've done is, and you, you, you'll see where I've done it. Maybe a little bit is the way if, if you way we brought classic empire to see us doing that. You'll see us at Churchill in the spring and to your old at Keeneland. Um, Wesley's just did not work going four and a half furlongs. So you'll see us run a lot more, say, in Kentucky. And then the other thing you're going to see us now with, you know, with the money being so good, with Churchill buying uh, Ellis Park, you'll see us run, you know, a lot more at Ellis Park. We've been running at Ellis Park. And then, obviously, we have Kentucky Downs. And and I'm excited about Turfway. I think Turfway is going to continue to grow. We're going to, we're going to have a... A, you know, a full barn at Turfway this winter. So Kentucky's fun is is extremely important. Um, and I definitely, it, when you sit and you, if you look at, you know, if you're looking at two horses that you feel equal, one's a Kentucky bred and one is another, you know, from another state, I'm going to buy the Kentucky bred just for the bigger money. When you sit and you, if you look at, you know, if you're looking at two horses, okay. sounds good. Equal. One's a Kentucky bred and one is another, you know, from another state. I'm going to buy Thanks for having me. Bread. Have a good <laughs> day. for the bigger money. It, it only makes sense. Mark, this was so great. We'll have to have you back for a longer visit. At some point, I want to do an hour with you just on Teppin, if I can, if I can do that. Okay. Sounds good. <laughs>
Really appreciate you, my friend. And Godspeed with Wonder Wheel and all the rest of your charges. We're proud here at In The Money Media to be partnered with the Kentucky Thoroughbred Development Fund. Purses in Kentucky are powered by the KTDF and have led to an incredible enhancement to the Kentucky racing scene. KTDF dollars in purses are only for Kentucky bred horses, so breeding in Kentucky is the best way to maximize profits and return on racing and breeding investments. Because of the benefits from the KTDF, Churchill Downs Racing and the Kentucky circuit as a whole continue to be on an incredible upward trajectory. For more information, please check out inthemoneypodcast.com slash KTDF. Next up on the show, very happy to welcome in two guests. One you've been hearing from all the time lately. He does amazing work over at Twinspires.com. He's giving you expert picks. He comes on these airwaves. He gives out winners. We love to have him here. He's Scott Shapiro. What's going on, Scott? What's up, Pete? Good to be back. Good to join you. Uh, looking forward to a big weekend here in Louisville, including the uh, Claiming Crown. Looking forward to talking about a few of these races with you. And then we also have, coming to our airwaves for the first time in a minute, a man who's taught us how to pronounce various racehorse names. He's given us one of the great on-air tricks when you're maybe feeling a little nervous of all time. Bing bong, bing bong. He is the race caller at Churchill Downs. He is Travis Stone. Travis, what's going on? Uh, everything is well. It is my honor to be on the phone with an expert such as Scott Shapiro on this fine morning. <laughs> <laughs> I love What's it. Story? What's the story that he told about if you're nervous on air? Can you do the Can I... you do the Cliff Notes version of Bing Bong Bing Bong for us, Travis? I'm sorry, but I, it, we, we we have to now. <laughs> yeah, sure. So, I mean, you know, Shap Shap has no nerves. Uh, a man of his stature is a seasoned pro on the mic. But Shap, if you're ever feeling on edge when you turn the microphone on, uh, before you hit that on switch, go bing bong, bing bong. And on that last bong is where you start talking. It'll help you keep your nerves under control. <laughs> Interesting. Wow. I mean, if you're a true professional, I'm going to take those notes and store them away in case it ever happens. If you start high, there's nowhere you can go, right? I mean, isn't that the idea, Travis? Yep. <laughs> exactly. And, and that just it causes the upper part of your body to become constricted. And that just makes you more anxious and more adrenaline. And it's over after that. <laughs> Hopefully that's not the ex- experience talking. Hopefully this is something that was a cautionary tale that you learned. Yeah, a little bit about. Little bit about. <laughs> We're going to talk about the last four races on Saturday at Churchill Downs. We've got a lot of money on the line and some big, full and competitive fields. We start off with uh, a six furlong on the dirt starter allowance race for for three and up. And Scott Shapiro, how we want to light this candle in terms of uh, if we want to play this late pick four at Churchill on Saturday. Yeah, good late pick four. And uh, just a reminder, uh, Twin Spires does have a uh, late pick four. Hit it, split it every day at this meet, including uh, this day. So uh, split up the $2,000 for all those that hit it on there. And it starts out with the... uh, Claiming Crown Ready's Rocket Express, and uh, I'm going to give. I thought this was one of the more competitive races on the card. Respect a couple of the favorites, including the seven and two Morning Live favorite Beverly Park, who's uh, 22 wins, 12 this year. Pretty impressive to say the least. But but I found a price horse I was most interested in here, Pete, and that's number eight Hero Tiger, third start off the claim for uh, trainer John Hart, uh, Kirby, shipping in from Parks off to a uh, solid effort in. Uh, October has been freshened up a little bit since then, but the last effort, this one battled uh, five wide uh, all the way around the racetrack, put away the other speeds, and then was just run down by a horse that got the dream set up that day in Fast Bob. But uh, with Louis Saez aboard, I think it's a nice stalking trip. 
He hasn't won 22 races uh, in his career, but he's won seven of 51. And I'm hoping he can make it eight here uh, at 12 to one. It's a compelling case. Travis, how about you? How do you see this one? Well, I mean, I have to root for Beverly Park. How can you not? A horse that's made 25 starts this year, flaunting convention, if you will, as all these other horses are retiring after a handful of them in one season. Uh, I think the pace could be pretty swift in here. And I think number five, honorary degree, is a live runner to come on underneath in the tries and the supers. I think that last race, dirties up the form a little bit. It's going to allow the price to drift. This is a horse that's had no problem at Churchill in the past. And I want somebody coming from the back to sort of juice up these exotics. I like the sound of that as well. A little bit of a little bit of a price angle to go with Beverly Park. And then I, I think Scott's eight selection also makes sense. Next up, we have race number nine. We're going seven furlongs on the dirt. Uh, we've got 125,000 in the pot this time around. Travis Stone, we'll keep it with you. Yeah, I mean, I, I think this is another one of those races that just seems to have enough pace on paper where things would come apart a little bit late. I don't have a big long shot idea for that, but I am going to take a look at Tom Van Berg's lieutenant junior grade, who's fresh off the claim. Van Berg does not have tremendous numbers off the claim, but this is a horse that's run consistently good numbers. I think he's going to get the right flow of the race, and he just likes to run well. Seven for 17 on top, horse that always fires. Scott, how about you? Let's bring you back in for your thoughts on the ninth. Yeah, I'm with Travis. There looks to be plenty of early speed signed on here. Should be an honest early pace. No burn is a horse that makes a lot of sense. Coming in from New York for Oscar Barrera the third. Might be uh, seven furlongs might be a little sharp for this runner. I do have a little bit of a price that I think can get the right trip in here. That's number three, first glimpse. Cutting back to one turn for the first time in a while for Carlos Silva, who actually got his first ever win at Churchill Downs on Thursday afternoon. And the guy that was aboard the Silva trainee that got to the wire first on Thursday was Rafael Bayerano. He rides here, and I think on the turn back, he's going to have no other option than to uh, relax this one because he's just not fast enough to go with the true sprinter speeds in here. But that could bode well for him in the end. So first glimpse for me at 12-1 to on the morning line. Also respect, like I said, no burn, the 3-1 to morning line favorite, as well as number one, Ragtime Blues, who shipped in from New York for trainer Kelly Breen after a neck victory following uh, the favorite Amundsen all the way around the racetrack at Belmont at Aqueduct. We stretch out to a mile and an eighth for race number 10, and the purse gets bigger too. 175000 this time around. Field of 10 going postward. Scott, who takes it? Number 10, Our Nation on Parade, I think, is the uh, horse to beat in here. Nine to two on the morning line. I think there's, this is a race I think that's a little bit top heavy. I expect one of the three or four favorites to, to be good enough to win the uh, claiming crown jewel. And uh, Our Nation on Parade uh, has really been awesome of late. It's rattled off four straight wins. It's been claimed by a couple of good barns during that period of time and proved last time in the Maryland Million Classic that a mile and an eighth is not going to be an issue, Pete. This horse was three wide throughout that day and was under wraps, basically winning by almost six lengths. In the end, now uh, ships back to Churchill Downs. He's two for four over this racetrack with a third. And I think he gets a good trip, assuming Paco Lopez is able to avoid a wide voyage, which I think he will because I think there's a couple of speed horses that will uh, separate the field a little bit. So I do like our nation on parade. I respect uh, Intrepid Hard, who was against the race shape uh, last time out, the winner, West Will Power, in that September 28th allowance event, was loose on the lead, setting slow early fractions, and then came back to win the Fayette at, at Kentucky, uh, at Keeneland by almost seven lengths, flattering the effort. I think Intrepid Hart gets an honest pace. He can run him down. And then the inside horse, Ben Vengo, 
a son of Gormley, who's done uh, very little wrong and could be on the lead under Louis Saez. I do think he's likely to take a little bit of uh, early pressure, but if he doesn't, he's certainly capable of uh, taking him gate to wire. Logical thoughts all around, and I do agree. Just looking at the paper quickly here, our nation on parade should get an absolutely perfect trip. Travis, we'll bring you back in. Uh, you, you with us on this idea of our nation on parade here? You're going in a different direction. Um, I, I sort of agree with Shap in that I think this race is a little bit on the top-heavy side. But I did want to give one look to Decision Maker, who on paper and on form has twice gone turf to dirt and has popped with big efforts in both of them. One was a 40K a starter allowance at Oakland earlier in the year. And then most recently in our September meeting, went turf to dirt with a nice number here at Churchill. Obviously is okay with Churchill. He's not a turf horse generally. Has run fine on turf, but better races on dirt. And it's just going to be coming from off the pace. And I think there's a chance this gets a little bit dicey late because of the way the posts have drawn with some of the horses that want to show some speed. I think the rail horse has to go, which could goose this a little bit. And I just thought Decision Maker, a consistent, hard-grinding type, could come from off the pace and get a piece. Square price, not a super creative idea, though. I, I think it makes sense as another one to mix in in that spot, though. We move on to uh, to the nightcap, which we think is going to be coming off the turf. Is that correct, Scott? Did you tell me that off air? Well, I mean, you know, we're recording this on Friday morning. It rained a lot uh, on our way in today. We are off the turf. We had one race scheduled. It was race nine. Remains to be seen, but my guess is based on the rain and wanting to take care of the turf course that we will be off. But at this point, kind of no prognosis on that. But gotcha. I would I would handicap for the uh, for the off track for sure. Okay, mile and a six. Prognosis negative. Okay. Prognosis negative. <laughs> yeah. That's not, that's your 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 the doctor show starring Travis Stone. Prognosis negative. I think that would be good. Um, we, we they'll stay at a mile and a sixteenth if it if it goes, and uh, there'll still be one hundred fifty thousand in the pot. Scott, let's start off with just, I know it's a very difficult assignment with the uncertainty attended here, but where is your eye drawn in the nightcap on Saturday? Well, I mean, I have it handicapped for the turf, and I thought it was a little bit of a challenging race to come up with a strong opinion. So in playing the pick four, I'm going to use multiple horses. I did land on the second choice. Uh, if it stays on the turf, that's number 11, Freedom Matters, who's actually run a couple of good races over the off-going. By the time we get to race 11 tomorrow, I know I said it, cap for an off track we might just have a fast main track that it might be run over so keep that in mind as well i don't think it's supposed to rain a ton but uh freedom matters an honest horse nine for 41 has hit the board more half more than half those starts has shown the ability to sprint go long has tactical speed a little bit of a tricky post out to the, uh, to the outside there but this horse has won two of three and if edgar zayas can uh, navigate a voyage that allows him to avoid a three or four wide trip into that first turn i think he has a big chance I think Big Agenda is a hard-hitting uh, son of Data Link that grinded out a win last time and has proven that when he gets in a dogfight, he can win. He's got three recent wins, all of them by either a head or a neck. So I like that. And a big price, especially if it stays on the turf, probably more underneath is number two, Rogue Element. This is a horse that's just two for 20, so expecting the win, it might be a lot to ask. But he has shown a really strong late kick particularly over this turf course, which has been a little bit unique. Um, and in that, on June 9th, when we saw him last over this turf course, he came from way out of it at a big price out in the middle of the course. Now, the turf course hasn't necessarily played the same way it has in the spring. It's been a little bit more difficult to close. But this horse is just going to be such a big price, and I'm not going to leave him out underneath. 
And I'm just going to take a wild guess that if they do come off, you're going to elevate number 16, Palace Koo, into the mix, who looks to have uh, potentially a form and figure advantage on that surface. Am I, am I, is, is it fair to say that? Yeah, I think uh, Joe Sharp and the FAS racing team probably would be very happy if this race came off the turf because most of the horses, as you would suspect, are uh, turf horses in here. There's some with okay dirt form, but uh, yeah, Palace Coup would be a very tough customer if it does come off the turf like we suspect it might. Travis, anything to add about our nightcap? Well, I mean, I feel like Shap rattled off six or seven horses there, but I'll, <laughs> I'll toss in... I'll toss in an eighth idea. This is a bit of a stab, but but I think there's a couple of angles to go on. That's a 13 on a spree who at least does have dirt form and dirt wins. If there's any residual moisture in the racetrack, he's fine with that. And I don't worry about the two most recent running lines. In fact, in doing some studies over you know how the public handles running lines like his most recent where he completely backed up, whatever, draw a line through it and go back a couple of spots. I think Biscuits has been very aggressive in some of these two-turn dirt races, which is going to get him a little bit more forward in a spot like this. Maybe he outruns his odds. I don't know what sort of odds they'll be, because obviously there's a lot of uncertainty in the surface and you know, and, and what track we're actually running on. But a little bit of a long shot stab to maybe stick around for a piece. I think it sounds interesting. When you're talking about that study, the crowd, you're saying the crowd maybe overreacts to those type of efforts, so it pays the shrewd handicapper to just kind of ignore them and move on. Is that where you were going with that? Yeah, in a way, and they and they just look worse than they really were. Also, because oftentimes the rider stops riding, they realize, okay, this is not our day, and so a twenty-seven and a half length loss, like in the case with Honest Free, is not necessarily representative of that horse's current form. Now, if it were to come again, like tomorrow, if he were to do the same thing, well, then obviously something is going on. But it's fine to go ahead and forgive and forget a poor recent outing, uh, and it's hard for the human brain to do that because it's staring at you in the face. But if you can do that. <laughs> You can sort of uncover some value here or there. Avoiding the top sheeting, as the the old-timers say. I love it. (laughs) Travis, Scott, guys, thank you so much. Really appreciate you, and uh, we'll be talking soon. Thanks, Pete. We are thrilled to be partnering with our friends at Hawthorne Racecourse through the end of the season. Lots going on at Hawthorne, including a featured $25,000 guaranteed late pick four on Fridays beginning Right now, uh, 11-11 will be the first one if you're an early bird listening to the show. Um, this is going to run through the last four races of the card. Going to be great opportunities each week for a savvy player to take the whole pool. Also want to remind you about the legendary Thanksgiving weekend contest at Hawthorne on November 25th through 27th this year, now including a $1 million bonus if you win one of these and then take home the National Horse Players Championship one-day contest, $300 starting bankroll on Friday, $500 on Saturday and Sunday. The seat's completely added to the prize pool. One of the best ways to win into the NHC, if not the best. Go to inthemoneypodcast.com slash haw to learn more. That's inthemoneypodcast.com slash H-A-W. Thrilled to be covering Hawthorne again this weekend. And when it comes to Hawthorne and Illinois racing in general, there's a short list of people I want to turn to to hear their thoughts. And this person always loved to have on these airwaves. You've heard them on here before. You've seen them recently crushing it on Jeopardy. I'm speaking, of course, of Rowan Ward. Rowan, what's going on? Hello. How are you? extremely good recovering from the breeders cup still same same 
<laughs> it was a lot with Breeders' Cup going on. And then, of course, my Jeopardy episodes airing right while all the Breeders' Cup turn up was going on, too. So it was the two biggest things of my year happening right over each other. <laughs> yeah, that's a lot. That's a lot. It's I mean, lot. I think I know the answer. How how was the experience overall? I mean, you created you created quite a ripple, and I, I I was thrilled for you and thought you did an amazing job, obviously. But how was it for you personally? It was so much fun. Of course, I never imagined I was going to be back on the show this year until they kind of kicked open that door with the announcement of Second Chance back in February, and then actually called me for it this summer because I lost last year and. When you lose, you lose. And now there's that little door where a handful of us can come back. And I'm just still over the moon that they picked me to come back. And I'm really glad that I studied and prepared and came ready and really showed the kind of games I was capable of. It was awesome to see. I thought there was maybe a Jeopardy link to last weekend's Breeders' Cup betting challenge. And let me explain what I mean here. And most people think this is crazy. But let's say you do the thought experiment. So the live bankroll Breeders' Cup betting challenge. People are betting real money. You can walk away with that money at any time. And when you factor that into the case that you can walk away, maybe the point I'm about to make isn't so good. But I just thought from a game theory point of view, if I was one of the people chasing Drew Coatney, who went into the last race, he was up about 30000 but and he, his bankroll stood at 90000 If I was one of the people chasing him, the math that I would have done to try to figure out the total I needed to win was, what does a $97,000 bet on flight line pay? And then I would have taken that number, and that would have been my target. Now, in the real world, I think people don't think someone's crazy enough to actually bet $97,000 on a racehorse, even flight line. But for me, just thinking of it as a game with numbers, not as actual money, I thought that was a very reasonable thing to do. And I was surprised that more people apparently did not approach it that way as an actual Jeopardy contestant from a game theory point of view. Do you think there's something to what I'm saying or am I just nuts like everybody else is telling me? Oh, no, I think there's something to what you're saying, because even though there may be there may be multiple possible strategies and not everybody is going to go for it. I feel like you need to bet on yourself. And that's how my betting strategy when I go into a Jeopardy game is it's bet on yourself. It's put yourself in the position so you know, it's always a little weird because unlike in Jeopardy in a handicapping contest, you can possibly do more than double your money in that last race. So if you have less than twice what the leader has, you're not quote unquote locked out like you are in Jeopardy. But let's say that you are in first going into final Jeopardy, but you don't have a lock position. Even if you know that that person in second place might not bet at all. A lot of times it's not the best thing for the person in second place to bet at all. A lot of times it is still the right call to bet as if that person in second place 
is going to bet it all because the last thing you want to do is get Final Jeopardy right, get caught flat-footed with your bet, if you will, and have second place catch you because you didn't bet enough to cover if they doubled. And depending on what you know about that second place person's betting strategy, or sorry, about that leader's betting strategy, no, I'm talking all over myself. Depending on what you know about that second place person's betting strategy, you might have an in. You might know enough about how they like to wager or what they've done, depending on things that you've picked up in other episodes that they've been on or what have you, that a different bet might be optimal. But all other things equal, if you don't have that inside information, I'm going to bet to cover a double just in case. So why not, yeah, go for the gusto. Cover your bases. How much time do you spend handicapping the other players you're competing against in that in that situation? I honestly spent very little. I didn't really handicap the other players. I felt like the better use of my time was to focus on my own game because there's still only a limited amount of information you can glean from the games um you know if you and and I watched it enough so I had sort of a general idea of if anybody did any sort of non-traditional wagering on the regular but just in general if it boiled down to doing oppo research versus shoring up my own game learning more facts getting myself more comfortable with the mental game, getting myself more comfortable with, okay, this, these are the calculations, these are the bets. I always put my time into shoring up my own game. I think that makes the most sense for sure. And, and you put it to good effect on, uh, on Jeopardy recently. Thank you. And let's talk about this race in Hawthorne that we're going to kick things off with. Race number six, We've got uh, we got babies. We've got the Showtime debutante stakes, and we're going six furlongs on the dirt. Well, the Showtime Deb, it's the Pat Whitworth debutante. This is actually just named after a horse called Showtime Deb. Oh, very cool. Well, give give us the lowdown on this race. Yeah, this one is interesting because even though it is a stakes race, it's a stakes race for Illinois bred juvenile fillies, and if you know anything about breeding in Illinois. There haven't been nearly as many Illinois breads, so you tend to get a lot of maidens in these two-year-old stakes races for Illinois breads. The thing I'm not used to is just how many maidens are in this one. I say the thing I'm not used to. Of course, I'm used to handicapping Illinois bred two-year-old maidens. I've handicapped plenty of you know maiden specials and maiden claimers with them in there, but this is a 10-horse stakes race. Nine out of the 10 horses are maidens, and... The only one who's won is a horse named Primity, and Primity broke her maiden at FanDuel slash Fairmont, and likely to get an outside pressing trip, and, you know, you've got to use Primity because she has some tactical speed and is the only not maiden in the field. You never know quite how much what she beat. That second place horse, Highly Perfect, might not be bad. Didn't show up in this race because Highly Perfect is a male. But 
came back for third against Illinois Breds at Hawthorne on the 14th. And we might learn a little bit more about that horse's form because Highly Perfect runs back today against Open Maidens this Friday. Like I said, only non-maiden in the field. Gotta use her. The other horse who I have as an A in this race is the debut runner of all things. I'm really excited to see what Cat Royale can do. And the reason I'm really excited to see what Cat Royale can do is because her damn Kitty's Castle just keeps throwing runners. She's had two starters so far, one named Cat Attack, who unsurprisingly being by Get Stormy has really liked that whole two turns on the turf thing. But Mm -hmm. she's got a midshipman half-sister named Percy, who, let's call it what it is, may well be my favorite horse in training. And Percy (laughs) loves going one turn, can do dirt or the poly track back when Arlington was a thing. And what I really wanted to point out, though, is one of my favorite angles when I'm handicapping races, especially first-time starters, is I love seeing a horse who won first time out who's a half or full sibling and particularly did so for the barn. Both Percy and Cat Royale are trained by Michelle Boyce. What did Percy do first time out going one turn as a two-year-old blew the doors off of a bunch of Illinois breads by 13 and a half. Just absolutely romped. Came back, ran third against open stakes horses after that. That was all on polytrack, but she did come back to win the Showtime Deb and the Pat Whitworth last year. So she could handle dirt. She's a precocious two-year-old. And just all these pedigree angles pointing to Cat Royale being my other A in this race, in addition to the winner. If you want to go a little deeper in this race, which you may want to because it's juveniles. Juveniles can... Be a little unpredictable. Sometimes you might want coverage. Love You Like Crazy is a three-start maiden, but was second against Open Phillies. Two back wasn't far away. A lot of times, especially with so many maidens as in this race, it's going to be a drop in class for the most part against the state breads. Love You Like Crazy is shown enough. Another one who I find a little bit interesting is Can 2. Missed by a neck after stalking the pace at Fairmont. Yeah, I ran up the track last out, but just reared in the gate and trailed. So has some upside with a better break. Can the man on top screams a sprint. And even though the dam didn't graduate until age three, she got some pieces at two. And she's a half to one of the best Illinois bred juveniles of the last 10 years or so. A grade three winning juvenile named Showgood. Um, a couple others, if you want to go even deeper, you always know Larry Ravelli is going to take some money. Probably the best that he's got here is Mom's Town. Um, comes out of Maiden Claimers, but they're open Maiden Claimers at Colonial, which again, in the balance, may be a little tougher than mostly Illinois bred maidens. And at least she's trying something new. Um, if you want to be a little goofy, um, you may want to spread and cover Candy Looker as well, even though I really want to see this horse go long on grass because Flint Shire out of a mare who graduated going a mile and three-eighths on the grass. Um, first time Lasix for a barn that can run okay at just bonzo odds going first time Lasix. So just with how that angle can pay for the barn, 
I've got that horse sprinkled in as a C. So those are the ones that I find the most interesting in this race. But I think the two who really deserve the focus more than anyone are Primity, the only winner in the field, and Cat Royale, a first-time starter who has all the things I love to see in a first-time starter. I can't think of anyone on earth who would do a better job uh, dissecting that race for us and the knowledge of the pedigrees than Rowan Ward. Great stuff. Nine and seven on the top line, two and 10, sort of the backups. And then if you want to get really wild, you can throw the three and the six in there yep. as well. We'll proceed to race number seven. We've got $12,000 claimers going a mile and 70 on the Hawthorne dirt here in a field of eight going postward. Rowan, who gets the money? Um, the, I think the two sort of obvious contenders are the one highbrow and the seven scat shack highbrow hasn't run a bad race in three starts. There have been some issues along the way. I was working in the summer laid off again, just to work in early August and to work in early November, but still just the consistency and the fact that highbrow has won over fast and sloppy makes sense here. And in a race where you've got a lot who aren't necessarily the most consistent horses, especially since all of the entrants are non-three life, even the three-year-olds. I like the consistency. And then Scat Shack is honestly the one I like better of the two that I would absolutely include in my pick four. Um, the pace could get a little interesting in there. There are several horses you could show some speed. Scat Shack could be the beneficiary. Ran a credible second last out at this distance and level. Should get a faster pace to close into this time. The reason that I can't really feel great about singling Scat Shack and want to use Highbrow as well is... I don't love the fact that Scat Shack just seems to get more unders than wins, but really does look like the horse who can trip out. Um, if you want any more coverage than that, you know, maybe Bourbon Delight steps up from a non-two-life win over course and distance. And it was against cheaper, but DeVito's hot and does well with these steps up in class. Um, the thing I really don't like about Bourbon Delight um Highbrow inside probably means that Bourbon Delight won't have it as soft as last out when he won. So it is going to be a much tougher ask. But yeah, Highbrow and Scat Shack, I think, are the two more obvious contenders. And you can kind of make a case for Bourbon Delight. The rest I'm really not into. You know, like Surprise Cat fits class-wise, but Surprise Cat's not a dirt, dirt horse. Surprise Cat's a turf horse. It get, gets a little tricky in this uh, in this spot for that one. But one and seven, basically try to lock it up. If you want a, a little more coverage, throw the two in. And we'll move to race eight, where we've got nickel claimers going five and a half on the dirt and a full field of uh, ten signed on in this spot. We've got a favorite in Jack's spring break installed at five to two on the morning line. Are you with or against? Um... I'm actually going to go against Jack Spring Break, uh, the lowest tag of the career, but he's done most of his work going two turns, and I really think five and a half may be way too short for him. I am not keen on Jack Spring Break as the likely favorite in this race. I think that there are three others who make a lot more sense to me. There's uh, Future Vision, um, went a mile and 70, Got cash some checks last out, but now drops in class this five level. And 
the classes get a little bit more fungible later in the meet, but especially kind of early to mid-November, there's still enough horses on the grounds that 62.50 down to five is a legit class drop. Um, definitely needs to run one of his better races, but you know might be able to carve the right trip. And in the low-level non-two, the fact that he passed some horses for his maiden win, that qualifies as form in a five thousand dollar non-two you know you get a lot of these horses in cheap non-winners of two who can't pass a horse to save their life so the fact that future vision can i like that um the number three bourbon teddy has some speed i'm a little worried about how he might need to make the lead to win and he's probably not going to get it alone but he's at the lowest level he's ever been at against winners and has some right to improve second up um tap it sam has some speed though the question is whether he outjumps the aforementioned bourbon teddy who also has five and a half furlong speed um again was one who ran well last out for 62.50 and now drops to five i also like the fact that he's never missed the board in one of these short dash distances five or five and a half on the main um i'd like more wins he has one win in four thirds but it's still consistent enough form and is actually suited to this five and a half furlong distance. And that's it. I just don't think the chalk Jack spring break is suited to this sort of distance. Like tap at Sam is. And, you know, I guess it's kind of weird. I'm talking a distance and future vision was going to mile 70 last out, but what distance did future vision break is made at? Five and a half. So again, we have a horse with five and a half form. Exactly. And maybe a good opportunity if you're playing the late pick four to pick up some equity fading the favorite in this spot. And that yep. brings us to our nightcap. We stay at the nickel claimer level and we stretch out. Now we're going a mile and 70. And I said full field the last race. I lied. They, 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 they'll run 12 as they do here. So I'll ask you, Rowan, the key question. How are we going to get paid? Well... This is another nickel claimer, but this is a nickel claimer with a more interesting condition. It's not a non-winners of two life. It is non-two in six months or non-three in 2021 and 2022 or non-four life. And who I really like in these are inform horses who don't necessarily fit that lifetime condition. I love the number 10 Buckster Hooter in this spot. Not only because he has a great name, but he is just a really nice condition <laughs> book fit. Like he's here in conditioned fives, but he beat open fives last out, yet he qualifies for this condition because his next to last win came in February. So he's a 12 time winner, but fits that non two in the last six months. He's tactical, he yeah, likes the distance, and he comes off, se- he comes second off the lay. So he has room to improve even further off of that win against open fives. So I really like Buckster Hooter in this spot. If you want to go a little deeper, which again, could never blame you for, cause these are $5,000 claimers. Um, if I'm singling on my ticket, I'm singling here. But if you want a few more horses in this spot, there's big pine Sandy who takes a major drop in class that said, he was just taken for four to back. So 
it's not a suspicious drop in class. He's still in for a bigger claiming tag than he was taken for, but it's still in the range of, we took a shot last out and this is where he belongs. And you look at Antonio Moraz's record second off the claim. He's not great first off the claim. He's dynamite second off the claim, which means it's kind of his MO. He claims a horse, takes a shot, usually doesn't work out, you know, taking him up from low level claimers to a starter and then puts him back where they belong. And so that's kind of the move with Big Pine Sandy here. The 11 feeling dangerous did just miss to Buckster Hooter last out despite a slow start and a slow pace in front of him in that open five. So gets the seven pound break with the apprentice. I do, you know, sometimes have questions about the experience, especially from a not great post getting the apprentice rider. But that said, they do have some rapport and he drops in class and did run a good race against Buckster Hooter. I just think Buckster Hooter has a little more upside with that second off the lay with the barn doing so well with that stat. That said, if you want to spread a little more, Big Pine Sandy and Feeling Dangerous are your key horses for that. Rowan, great stuff. I'm hoping we're going to be doing more with Hawthorne. I'm hoping we can have you back on soon. Always fun chatting with you, and uh, we wish you Godspeed this weekend and beyond. Thank you so much. Thank you for having me. This was fun. Some listening will accuse me of a host fail for putting the segment third on the show. They'll say it should have been the lead because uh, we have the handicapping contest world newest star from In The Money Media. It's Drew Coatney. Drew, how are things? I'm doing good. Still uh, still haven't quite come down to earth yet, but uh, slowly but surely working that way. So uh Opening up Woodbine was a good reality check that, uh, yes, I am still a horse player. (laughs) There's a funny little addendum we didn't tell the other day. You wanted to do Woodbine last week. And I had, I had, you know, I had Spencer doing the show and and I figured we should get a different guest. I didn't even ask you. I was just like, I'm just going to get a different guest. Drew is doing all this work for In The Money Plus. He's preparing for the BCBC. Is it possible that the extra hour that you were, you know, given by not, doing your usual Woodbine assignment is the reason you won. And should you share the money with me? Oh, I didn't even think about that. Maybe. But, you know, one thing you don't know is that infamous picture of Sean Borman, fantastic professional player, and JK in the green room sharing a microphone. Yes. That was the first time I met them. And I was the one who took the picture. (laughs) So you're saying I owe you back royalties on that photo because I've used it plenty of times when I have those guys on. I'm just a money man. I'm trying to collect as much as I can. <laughs> well, you did a fine job of that last weekend, but let's see what we can do this weekend at Woodbine. Uh, a couple of graded stakes to start off this uh, the last four races. Typically, we'll do the last four races on this Woodbine card this time of year. Woodbine, you know, they're terrific product to to have a look at. I know I'm excited about getting down and, and playing Woodbine for the remainder of the meet this year. We'll kick it off with race number seven, which is the grade three Maple Leaf Stakes. Phillies and Mares, three and up, going 10 furlongs on the synthetic. Mr. BCBC champion, who do you like in here? I, I like the number nine creative Cairo. Uh, has been running longer on the turf at Naira this year and then comes in for Clement, trying the all-weather for the first time. And I think has enough tactical ability to press the pace and enough finish in these longer events to get the job done. I, I will tell you this, the morning line's installed at seven to two. My second choice, the number three chargers dropped is four to one. I feel like this is a great betting race to play the old pick one. 
um, because I, I just don't know the market's going to go exactly to one horse. And I, I think if you have an opinion, you're going to at least get three to one, five to two. So, um, like I said, then the, the, my second choice, the number three uh, charges dropped uh, another pace presser type. I don't nothing against press aisle downs or golden gate, but I, I feel like they're just a, a notch below with some of those other runners. So I, I would have liked to see a little stronger. And that's the only knock I have on this horse to put number three charges drop second. Uh, the runner's profile is almost identical to the number nine creative Cairo for me. And then, uh, uh what, what I thought was going to be a longer shot, but is actually installed on the boarding line at three to one is the number 11 transient with that wide post trial. It's going to be pretty hard, but has some good, again, Naira circuit turf, and then comes to Woodbine, um, comes back to Woodbine since finishing that three-year-old campaign. So ran some good numbers on October 17th. And then that figure nine on November 7th was pretty rough, but you assume that's why the layoff happened and the horse freshened up and Ortiz is up aboard, which is great to see. And, I think between those three, I think I think we have this race covered. I think that's right. You definitely are going to want to pick uh, one to key around. I would think hard to deal with spreading between the the three as much of the market as I think they're going to cut out. I did make charges drop the top pick. Looking at the pace map in this spot, I think she's just going to be in the absolutely perfect spot. Uh, Timeform US pace projector has her sitting third, proven on synth. Has run well going long as well, which I like. And then you, you throw in the fact that we have that combo, the same point you made about the nine runner, that combination of tactical speed and ample finish. Interestingly, this is Michael McCarthy, a trainer I trust implicitly's first start in the last five years, and, and maybe the first start ever up at uh, up at Woodbine. Mm-hmm. But, you know, when you trust a trainer as much as I trust him, that's not really much of a big deal. We'll see. I mean, you make a valid point about can that form from uh, the West Coast and from Presque Isle travel north of the border. I'm going to make a bet that it can. I will save in exactas with your number nine creative Cairo, who hey, I do think makes uh, makes a lot of sense in this spot as well. And, and, and can I ask a dumb question on air? Please. Why is Ortiz in Woodbine? Is, is Naira done? Is there nowhere else for like, is he homeless just looking for a ride to keep his skills sharpened? I mean, he could certainly be riding at Aqueduct, uh, Aqueduct or running, but I think, you know, the chance to come and ride in a grade three, I mean, he's probably here for this horse is, would be my, uh, would, would be a reasonable guess. Um, but I'm not, you know, I, I don't, I haven't, I did not read like the preview article. It might be in there. Ron Gear King does such a good job as people who follow Woodbine know regularly, but yeah, I mean, I don't, in terms of graded stakes action, that this is, this is, Mm-hmm. probably where you might want to be on a Saturday afternoon is a testament to the the strength of the of the Woodbine card in a lot of ways. He's also comes right back in the next race and will segue neatly to race number eight, uh, the Bessarabian grade two Phillies and mares going seven on the synth where he once again rides for Safi Joseph. Yeah, this is going to be a Safi Joseph has two stakes runners at Woodbine has a good relationship with Ortiz and asks him to make the trip kind of deal. And honestly, I think there's a chance, uh, it's it's not unreasonable um, to think that, that he could win both of these. Now, I'm not with the 11 in race seven, but I am most certainly with the one runner, Artie's Princess, in race eight. Artie's Princess, just a cool, versatile filly. And how about the form line? For those of us who like to dig into form, how about the form line in the last race, beating three next out winners, including Caravelle, and just as impressively to me, or almost as impressively, all six that have come back to run have improved their figures significantly. 
And while Artie's princess was ridden cold last time, I think she could revert to the old ways and potentially be the speed of the speed from the inside under Ortiz in this spot. It's a tricky race. I'll probably back up an exactas with um with with the three Hazelbrook with the six R flash drive and maybe even with the nine Allworthy who comes out of that same very live looking race that Artie's Princess comes out of. But clear preference for Artie's Princess for me. How do you see this one? Yeah, I love the number six R flash drive at seven to two in this race. I, I think the race shape fits perfectly for this horse with the inside speed and how I visualize this race in my head, Artie's princess goes and there's some outside pace pressure that is not going to make this an easy task. Now can Artie's princess class rise above and just shed off those pressers? Maybe, but I think with the seven furlong distance, it's a tricky distance to time just right. Especially if you're getting pressed on with horses who want the lead from the outside, who may not have a stronger chance other than getting the lead. And so for the number six, our flash drive, I love the strong Saratoga form. This one showed and I'll forgive uh, the Boston spa after facing some st- tougher ones. And I think number six, our flash drive is just going to stalk and pounce. I will be backing up and I haven't quite figured out in my head yet uh, of how to use in the exact or what, what it is, but I do want a little bit of number one, Artie's Princess at five to two for the reasons I just mentioned. Could just go on with it and shed off any pressers and really put on a performance. So six one for me, uh, I may just go on the win bet with the six and if Artie Princess snaps me, uh, so be it. Fair enough, though Though I don't think it's a bad exact to cover as well. I'll certainly have that one, one six and six one. Race number nine, we've got maiden fillies and mares going three, going, they are three and up. They are going a mile and a 16th on the synthetic. And we've got a field of eight here. Drew, we'll keep it with you. Yeah, I like the number two, Maralinga. I thought this horse was going to be installed much shorter on the morning line. We'll see on the tow board for any clues, uh, because this was one of the few that's dropping out of the maiden company into maiden claiming and has been improving nicely. I'll forgive the last effort effort because this horse like wasn't just bumped again, going back to replay work was smashed out of the gate uh, and then had to spot the field six lengths uh, trying to close into a neutral pace. And today the pace looks pretty flat and should be able to sit nicely and run on with it with a nice inside draw. I'm kind of cold singled on that horse that no one else really jumped off the page to me. A lot of I've been trying types. Uh, maybe it's my day, but it's not really a good formula for a winning bankroll. So especially at 12 to 1, uh, number 2, Marilinga, I'll build a, a bit of my day around it. Not 100% of my day, but if anything, 8 to 1 or greater, I think that feels like a good price. I think you'll get it because she's never taken a dime at the windows and she's never run a step. But you make a great point about the class drop. And then the other point is, that, you know, sometimes when it's all horses coming out of one race, and it literally is, the other seven all come out of the same race, that sometimes you want a little bit of a look at the stranger. I took the other view, though, and based on that last race, I wanted Mardine, the eight runner. I thought it was a very tricky trip and m- maybe not a ride that I loved last time. Held up early in a race that was very slowly run and also run very unevenly. I'm hoping Mardine can get more forward and get a real run through the lane this time. And if so, I think she can reverse form with the two that finished ahead of her. I will use 
both of those, though. The four, Tara Luna, I thought was also better mm-hmm. than it looked in the last race, wide on the turns, closing into that slow pace. And Geneva, mm-hmm. the pace setter, I could conjure you a scenario where she actually went too slow when you saw you know, Slade Jones with the feet on the dashboard, you know what I mean? Like just got out kicked. Maybe Geneva could with a bit of a more even run through um, be usable right back still with the, the weight break and maybe a potential pace edge. So mostly the eight, a little bit, the four and one for me, I respect your idea on the two though. And I think I will probably throw the two in, in some combinations if, uh, she's the price that I think she's going to be just because it wouldn't cost that much. And I'd hate to have this thing. I'd hate to have you be right and have this thing come to eight and not be able to come to the party with you. So that's something. Right. I for sure. And that's, and that's what I'm talking about. Right. Is like, you know, what Tommy mass has taught me in the backyard long ago. It's like, right. We just named off logical cases for three quarters of the field almost. <laughs> and so this, this race is definitely rated on the bottom of my pile of the four. So I'm not taking this one to the bank. Like I said, not building my entire day around this one, but um, you know, sometimes you just got to pick a spot. And and if I open myself to those others, I see every case that you just provided. I cannot make a, make a counter argument. So this is going to be an interesting one. I think one other thing I just realized was the number two Marilinga faced a game uh, who's going to race in the next race that we'll talk about fantastic debut. So I think that tees it up nicely for the nightcap. Indeed. Race number 10 is an allowance race. Phillies and mares three and up going seven furlongs on the synthetic. There is a case to be made for a game. Most definitely case to be made for several of the others. But if we're pay- playing this late pick four, Drew Cotney, how are we going to get paid? Number 10, a game. Four to one debut race was absolutely brilliant. Overcame a little bit of adversity and Josie Carroll's hands, I feel, she will have this one cranked up just a little bit more to do the step up in class and ready to roll. Uh, had stocked the meddling pace last out and just kicked on good. So I, I think will be a great one to see. If you, if we can get four to one, that feels like pretty good value considering there is a question mark of, well, was that a, just an inferior class or will this horse step up? And then also two others I'll use. Uh, number 11, Pioneer's Edge drawn to the farthest outside. Should be the clear favorite based on class, but don't love the wide draw. I think you're going to get the price if you think number 11 Pioneer's Edge can overcome it. And then uh, a consideration is the number seven Magic Ride. I just don't know what we're going to get out of this horse after the career best performance, but it is second off the bench today. It is a low percentage trainer, so that's a bit iffy, but I think could be easily be the best closer if a few of them get hooked up on the front end. So I'm 10-11 in the back of the seven. All right, we are... The same three numbers, just in a different order. I did go ahead and put Magic Ride on top based on being the flow upgrade, trying to close into those slow fractions last time, second time Lasix. And I thought that that running style, though there's a chance the pace could heat up in here and Magic Ride could get a could get a nice run through. A game, the 10, ran the par for the level in winning the maiden last time. Very dangerous right back for a trainer whose charges typically do improve in their second starts, as you pointed out. And then the 11 Pioneer's Edge, stable made of a game you know if they go too hard up front that could really play into pioneers edges um uh, advantage as mm-hmm. well and could prove the best late so i had it pretty evenly 7 10 and 11 for you 10 and 11 with a 7 as a backup drew we are just about out of time but appreciate you uh, doing the work i would have allowed you to take the week off certainly but uh hopefully you'll the, the celebration will continue through the weekend for you 
Yes, thank you. Yeah, we, we've got a beautiful day down here in Texas. Uh, Going to relax and uh, clear the mind a little bit and uh, probably get back into it uh, sometime next week. Eat some brisket while you're down there. That's my highest recommendation. We had some good steak in uh, in Lexington Saturday night at Tony's, but I, but I, but I think brisket's the order of the day. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Uh, I, I heard of a thing uh, real quick. Do you know what a it, and and this is a food item? A Texas Twinkie. I do not know what a Texas Twinkie is. I'm glad you specified that it was a food item. We might be getting into Michelle Yu, you know, uh, R-rated territory. Otherwise, no, no, no. This is not after dark type of stuff. This is a. I, I believe it was you take burnt ends from a brisket, okay. plop that in a jalapeno that's halved with Ooh. a little cream cheese, wrap in bacon, and re-smoke it again. Oh my it god! Sounds phenomenal. I would love to taste that. And you you know I'm, I'm doing my intermittent fasting, and it's 9.30 as we record this, and I'm not eating for another two hours, and I'm mad at you. But I do right, appreciate hey, you. Pound, pound a glass of water and have another cup of coffee. You'll be back on track. <laughs> that All basically right. described the story of my life lately. We'll be talking <laughs> soon, my friend. All right. Thank you. Next up on the show, to check out what's going on in Asia, specifically Japan, we bring in our man, from Woodbine, who helps us out when it comes to all of our Japan Racing Association, Association excuse me, coverage. He is Klaus Ebner. Klaus, what's going on? Morning, Pete. How you doing? I'm good. Not quite the splash at the Breeders' Cup that we saw last year from the Japanese contingent, though I'm imagining, and tell me if I'm right on this, we might see considerably more participation next year when the Breeders' Cup is back in California. Yeah, the, the, the travel is a little bit easier, I assume. You know, I, I think... Kate can really kind of speak to that, but, you know, for the most part, um, it, it's an easier ship for them. You know, it's just directly across to LA, uh, quarantine is probably a little bit easier. Whereas usually with Kentucky, it's not always a direct ship from Japan to Kentucky. It's going to be sometimes through Chicago and then a bit of a quarantine in Chicago and then the van ship down to, to Keeneland. Um, but yeah, it's just, uh, I, I think it worked out more for chain of love just because the fact of the matter is her last race. And then, off to the breeding shed she's going to go and i I know they haven't announced yet which uh, sire she'll go to but i assume it'll be one of the top ones hey who knows we we may even see a a flight line chain of love baby so uh who knows interesting bloodline potential there for sure let's dive ahead to talk about this weekend and then at the end of the show i want to talk about what we might be doing for uh, ahead of the big night in our coverage with uh, in the money media and the jra but but what do we have on tap uh, saturday night into sunday morning yeah, so it's a uh, quite interesting running of the uh, Queen Elizabeth Second Cup uh, this Sunday at Hanshin. So, mile and three eighths of the distance, and you know you usually don't. You know, the, the, in in this type time of season, uh, the JRA does send invites out to all of the international runners uh, who participated in in numerous Grade One or Group One events across the globe. They usually don't see an international runner in this race. Typically, but actually this year they have, and uh, it's interesting. You're gonna you're gonna, you're gonna see uh, Magical Lagoon uh, show up in here. So Magical Lagoon, uh, for those of you that don't know, she was um, uh, a winner of the uh, Irish Oaks, uh, and then finished fifth in the uh, Yorkshire Oaks last time out. So um, interesting. Uh, I, I didn't expect to see this one at all uh, in in Japan, but here we have it. Uh, with, with a horse with some uh, you know notable races under her belt and she kind of mimics a little bit uh, a horse who won this in back in 2011 then the form of uh, snow fairy so snow fairy won this race twice right. in Japan, uh, under ryan moore 
so yeah, again, it's quite an interesting race. Um, it's and it's also one of those races in Japan recently, at least for the past ten years, where you really don't want to be the favorite. So favorites haven't won this race uh, at all in the past ten years. Uh, it's also dominated by usually three or four year olds, uh, including last year's winner, uh, which is a huge, I think it was a huge upset. I think she went off in, in Japan. She was like 70 to one. And I think here in North America, she was like 50 or 60 to one uh, on the total net being uh, Akai Ito. So she is back again this year as a five year old, you know, hasn't done very much this year so far. Uh, and I and personally, I'm going to look towards a lot of the uh, the three and four year olds in here. Um Another interesting horse kind of returning to her own sex is the form of Daring Tact. Daring Tact was the Triple Tierra winner in 2019, had a pretty bad injury uh, and has come back. Uh, I'd say she, you know, she's kind of somewhat and, and sometimes shown the form that she had uh, as a three-year-old in terms of winning the Triple Tierra. And uh, she also finished third in the Japan Cup to uh, to Contrail that year. Uh, so, I, I, you know, I think there's lots to like about her, but um you know, she's uh, she's one that's interesting getting back in with her own sex, but she kind of has that five-year-old, I'm not going to say curse, but it's just that she's a five-year-old. So uh, I think this is one of her kind of last kick, kick, the, kick of the can, if you will. Um, but again, there are some there are some other big horses in here. You know, you have uh, some very talented three-year-olds, especially in the form of um, uh, Stunning Rose. Stunning Rose was a winner of uh, the last jewel of the uh, Triple Tierra in her last start, that being the Shuka Show. Uh, so a quick turnaround here for that one um, last race on October 16th in the Shuka show winning that race. Um, and, and again, there's, there's, a, there's a few other ones in here that uh, are quite interesting. Uh, one for me that is a three-year-old that was off the trail, uh, was on the triple crown trail, uh, could not race in the last jewel of the triple Chiara due to her earnings. So in Japan, you actually have to have uh, a certain number of earnings to qualify if it's oversubscribed and, and in this, in the, in the form of pin high, Pin High couldn't qualify for the uh, the Shuka Show, but she is in here after winning a uh, you know kind of listed allowance race in her last start, and she won that very impressively. And I was very impressed with the, with her watching that that day. So she's certainly one to look for. Again, let's mention Daring Tact, Magical Magical Laguna will be tough in here, um, and and interesting of note as well is that as we get later onto the season, Pete is that you know we, we see a lot of uh, European jockeys or and Australian jockeys actually receive. Uh, part-time allowances to ride in Japan. So in this race here, for instance, you're going to see, you know, Christian Demuro from Europe, you know, Damian Lane from Australia is riding this race. Uh, Ryan Moore will be riding this race aboard. Um, and Varnot, who's uh, kind of a, a sneaky, sneaky good horse who, uh, you know, kind of has some races on there that uh, I think could put her in the, in the mix there. Uh, and then, of course, your usual top jocks in Japan in the form of, you know, Marco, uh, Christian, uh, sorry, Mirko Demuro. Christophe Lemaire and, and Yuga Kawada and Yuga Kawada sticks with uh, again that horse I really like in the form of Pin High. So, really interesting race. Uh, and you know, if you are looking for a price, uh, I think you'll get it with you know, especially the fact that uh, some of the, the the bigger horses in this race in the form of Win Mighty and uh, and Geraldina. Um, Geraldina, just a quick note, is by Maurice out of Gentle Donna. So. Uh, regally bred for for that one uh but unfortunately for this race she drew the outside of post 18 so uh so christian demurl is gonna have to work on a trip with that that four-year-old daughter maurice not an easy assignment for sure you're gonna have full coverage over at in the money podcast.com of the card from the team and with the big night talking of international participation with the big night just a couple of weeks away I think we should try to do something special. I'd love to be part of a, of a round table and bring the team together and, and talk about the big races coming up. Let folks know when, when and what the Japan cup is, what kind of night of racing we have in store for us then. 
Yeah, so the Japan Cup will be on, in, at least in North America. So in Japan, it's going to be on, the on November 27th. Uh, for us here in North America, it'll be on November 26th, you know, kind of you know, the morning of the 27th, if you will. Uh, so certainly a, a, a huge day of racing that day. Uh, I've already seen about six or seven nominations now from Europe. I know there's one German horse um, who won a group one in his last start, who's uh, for sure coming over. Um, so again, it, it should be interesting You're to have that mix of, of local horses, some of the best horses in Japan versus some of the best horses in Europe. Um, some sad news in that, in that, in that instance where the arc winner Alpinista was supposed to run the Japan cup, um, but she had an, a setback in training, I believe yesterday or the day after, and they haven't decided to retire her instead of running a Japan cup. So, um, some sad news there. I was certainly hoping to see Alpinista much one of the best horses in Europe versus some of the best in Japan. Uh, not going to happen, but again, that's, you know, uh, we're still going to press on. It'll still be a, a outstanding race of again, Europe against Japan. And, uh, yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll certainly hope to have as much coverage and content as possible on, on the show, as well as, uh, through, that round table if possible be what does the supporting card look like for the japan cup uh so in japan it usually it's just going to be you know for the most part um the japan cup and then you'll have some uh, some listed stakes in the undercard as well as their typical maidens and allowance and uh you know first and second and third level allowance races so that's pretty much what it is as you know it, everything is focused around the the japan cup that day a good night to pay attention to whether you're a regular, obviously, or if you're somebody interested to check it out. And, you know, like we said, we'll have extra coverage to help you along the way. Class, we look forward to reading what you and the team come up with over at InTheMoneyPodcast.com on Saturday. And we'll look forward to chatting you once again on these airwaves soon. Thanks very much, Pete. Have a good day. Next up on the show, man, we had the pleasure of having on many times during the Belmont at Aqueduct meet or the Royal Aqueduct meet, as we called it. Now we're just back to Aqueduct. And uh, it's it, a meet where over the years I've always enjoyed playing and have been able to have some success. Let's see if we can have some success in this pick six. And to talk about it with us, we bring in a man who's going to be covering the meet over at InTheMoneyPodcast.com for us and did a special show on the carryover on Friday for us, along with Blake Jesse. I'm speaking, of course, of Nick Tamaro. Nick, what's going on? Breeders' Cup uh, hangover or what? Doing great, my friend. No hangover whatsoever. Ready to rock and roll for <laughs> a good good month of racing headed towards uh, Thanksgiving and whatnot. So, yeah, it's definitely not uh, twilight hour in New York racing at all. No, there's good stuff at Aqueduct in, in the winter as far as I'm concerned. And the, there's some things about the racing days I like. Before we get to the pick six, race number one at Aqueduct on Saturday, we've got my uh, namesake horse, Looms Boldly, running. I mean, for all the obvious reasons, I think he's one of the ones to beat in here. I'm going to be on Sky, but I told them, look, if I'm going to do the shift, I have to do it out from uh, the long shots bar on the second floor because I'm not missing the chance to see Looms boldly run. Have you had a, a quick peek at this race at all? Am I am I being too bullish and saying I think my namesake is going to win? I think he's going to win too, you know, and, and I think actually if he's the second choice, it could, uh, could offer a little bit of value. Um, he set some pace in that debut. I know the, the horse who beat him ended up taking an insane amount of money in the, uh, in the Sleepy Hollow in his next start. Yeah, which was sort of crazy. But um, no, I think Looms Boldly looks very, uh, very well spotted in the opener. All right, let's go to race number four, the start of the pick six, where we've got $25,000 claimers going six furlongs on the dirt. What numbers will be on your tickets to get this thing started? You know, this is an interesting spot for a horse like the six, Eminency. Um, and the interesting thing about it is Jose Camejo is so good off the claim. He's really amassed some incredible numbers over the last couple of years. 
but this guy cannot ride. I have no idea why he is using a mean Castillo. I mean, and I can't mince words. He is completely <laughs> inept. So it's a very odd spot. And it, you know, it sort of ruins your opportunity to get the right alternative to the entry because, I mean, I do think there's reason to be a little bit against the entry at the same time. The, the balance of this field after the entry, I mean, you're talking about horses like Kingstown and Moonshining Bright who are coming out of races at this level where they really dramatically underperformed. Linda took win for gold for 40, drops him immediately to 25. She took got the gold for 16 off Camejo and moves him up. These are both not exactly claims that really warm your heart. So I will reluctantly use the entry. I will find myself using eminency as well. Um, very concerned, of course, about whether that rider can get him home. Now that I've given him all of that description, we will have to, uh, to see if I've gotten him into the winner's circle. What, so the one entry and the six, and that's it for you in there? That's it. I had Eminency on top, first start as a gelding, first start for Cameo, improving the new acquisition significantly. I take your point on the rider, but I'm rolling the dice. And then, you know, the I do think that Moon Shining Bright and Win for Gold could hook it up and set it up for Eminency, but I probably will back up both with the entry and with number three, Moon Shining Bright, in case, uh, in case the horse gets loose in this spot. So that's how we see the opener, which brings us on to... Uh, the fifth race, $25,000 claimers going one mile on the dirt. And this is a spot where I was going to put number seven top of the mint on top. Should get a good stalking trip from the outside post. Found the water too deep the last day, but uh, ran pretty well at this level last time, winning by open lengths. And I also wanted the two, Al's Prince, a horse in good form, who fits on figures, missed a nose at this level last time, but a repeat of that I thought would put this horse right there. Need to make up ground um, turning in, but outside of the top one, I just don't trust the horses who are going to be ahead of him. Seven and two for me in race number five. How do you see it? Yeah, pretty similarly. I felt like they were the right two. Top of the mint's a good fit class-wise. Draws favorably on the outside. Should have enough speed to stay close. I think that's about all you need. Al's Prince ran a, a good race on the rebound last time out, dropping in class. And he kind of won a phony two-life claimer in a race that had been taken off the turf, but I do think he acquitted himself nicely last time. I, I, clearly, after the debacle at Saratoga, Rudy Rodriguez's horses ran better at the uh, the Royal Aqueduct meet, and so I think you've got to give Air Show a little bit of consideration, more so a backup for me than anything else, along with Willie Sutton, but I'm on the same two as you, the two and seven. It looks like the winner comes from that pair. All right, two and seven, but you, is it worth for the notes picks listing your back potential backup on the on the one? Yeah, both of those two for sure. Okay, so it's the one, and give me, I'm sorry, I didn't write down the number. Uh, that was the one and three. One and three on the backup line for Nick, which will bring us over to race number six. Maiden claimers, New York breads, three and up fillies and mares going six. We'll keep it with you, Nick. You know, you've got New York Supreme off a long layoff now in Ray Handel's care, who's got good numbers with horses off the bench. The advantage that Ray has with this horse, too, is that he's able to get him in for the waiver uh, off the layoff, not having to run him for twenty for twenty five thousand, and uh, and so he is taking that waiver. This is a horse whose dirt races, quite honestly, are good enough, including his last start, which was a second behind New York Banker. I think he figures to get a good trip stalking on the outside. I tried Frosty Invasion two starts back at Saratoga. She did no running at all, and that was enough for me to to, to kind of sign the divorce papers. I think Big Bean Christine is the other horse that I want to use the seven for Michael Catalano Jr., who got this horse last time and she immediately improved running second against open company that was a you know it was a bottom level maiden claimer right there was no 
no great amount of, of depth or talent in there, but this is a horse who I think could be good enough here. So uh, unfortunately I'm a little chalky and relatively simple using the seven and eight and backing up with horses like the six and nine. Seven, eight on the top line with the six and the nine. We've got all the same numbers in the mix. I did put summer snow on top, trying to maybe be a little bit half clever in this spot, just thinking maybe she could shake loose on pace figures with the addition of blinkers and an aggressive pilot. This is a weak enough level where it's possible that the competition just isn't going to have much interest in passing. That's been the case with uh, with both Big Bean, Christine, and New York Supreme before. They're the figure and form horses, but at the 0 for 13s, I thought I'd just get a little cute and play this one with the 9 on the top line and the 7 and the 8 on the back line. Let's talk about race number seven. Starter allowance going a mile on the dirt. Field of eight going postward here. Nick, what's your thoughts? Good group here. Chris and Dave obviously is, is the horse in form at the moment. Um, probably won't take the worst of it in terms of race flow either because he's got enough speed to stay close. And this is the kind of horse that Rob Atris, who claimed for 25000 he was obviously going to move him up gradually. He seems to have found the, the right class levels. And the starter allowance heats are really ideal I thought it was really interesting, though, that Tom Morley reclaimed locally owned. I don't know distance-wise where he's really going to fit. He probably wants more than a mile, but this is a horse who's danced way too many dances to be overlooked here in the slightest bit. And so I'm envisioning you're going to you're definitely going to have to use him. Uh, Lynn Cash has brought in horses that have run well in New York on multiple occasions, including uh, in stakes races. Nearly pulled off an upset in the Bold Ruler and did pull off an enormous upset in the Kelso a couple of weeks ago. So I'm going to use Outlier, who immediately improved when he was stretched back out in distance last time at Keeneland. I'm taking Kentucky Dirt Form over New York Dirt Form eight days a week. So I'm going to be a little wider here with the one, three, and four. I'll back up with the two who might be the main speed in a pretty paceless race. We have very, very similar numbers again. I, I had Chris and Dave on top. Think going to get the right kind of trip, good position throughout, improve the form lately. And just an old warrior in a group like this, 17 lifetime wins and 82 career starts, classy enough to win at this slightly higher level than what he's been facing. I liked Outlier too, huge run at Keeneland last time. If you take that at face value, this horse is going to be extremely dangerous and should be a solid price. And then as a backup, I had the one off the reclaim angle. So we're very, very similar in race number seven as we proceed to race number eight, where we've got an allowance race going a mile and three sixteenths on the dirt, paceless looking affair. I thought that for number four, 235, this looked like a very similar situation to the run two back where he was able to sit off a slow pace and kick clear in the lane. In theory, this is a higher class level, but just looking at the two fields, I think 235 can probably handle the assignment. And rough C is another one I like to come with 235, Closer should be invited into the paceless race, stuck on well um, in the last time for a piece of the pie, can do so again today. I liked it 4-5, but tricky maybe because of the pace scenario and very curious to get your thoughts. Yeah, I was on the exact same horses, so was, we did not communicate about this before. <laughs> um, and, and, you know, I'm sure you felt somewhat similarly to me that – and I think I think David Aragon is the gold standard making morning lines. I mean, there's not really a chance in hell that the six is favored in here, right? I mean, I, I couldn't possibly see that. This is a horse who I know he got a 94 fig last time. Look, I bet him. I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna lie. I picked him as well. But he got an enormous pace to run at on a day where you wanted to be as wide as possible. So I mean, he really, really had things go his way. I guess the, you know, the thought on a horse like Rough C is that though he's run fast races, they've all been out of town, and maybe that makes people a little hesitant. Um, 235 is a horse who's knocked around, obviously, at, at multiple levels, but maybe he's got to improve a little bit. I, I don't know. I'm, all I know is that 
I'm betting this race if Unbridled Palmer is favored because he yeah. is absolutely not supposed to be favored in here. The only other horse who's dangerous is Senior Investment. It's kind of funny to see him at this stage of his career uh, after finishing third in the uh, Preakness Stakes way back in 2019, 20, 2017, sorry, um, behind Cloud Computing and uh, Classic Empire. Still kicking. He's actually developed more speed in, in this uh this stage of his career for Scott Lake. So I think that makes him a horse that you have to give some consideration to at the very least. And I'm going to use those three. I, I don't really know how I'll grade them out at this point, but it'll just be the two, four and five for me. We wrap things up in our nightcap, New York bred Phillies and mares maiden claiming $25,000 level going six furlongs. When it comes to this uh, $1 pick six at aqueduct on Saturday, Nick, how are we getting paid? Yeah, this felt like a race that was probably scheduled for the turf and they moved it over with uh with some of the rain forecasted, you know, I, I wish I had something more clever, Pete. I like the 10 gracefully wild and the eight burn Rosie burn. I, I think burn Rosie burns last dirt race was plenty good enough to contend tough street. Who won that race will be back against winners today. Uh, gracefully wild made a middle move and flattened out last time. Now second off the layoff facing weaker than she did that day. I'm happy to end it with those two. I had those two in the mix, but a different top pick number seven treat street dropping in class, switching surfaces, I thought she could be tough in this spot. Candy Ride Offspring can famously run on any surface. On the stats, they're actually a little bit better on dirt. Um, and then the dam side looked like dirt to me as well. And if you if you accept that the form is going to transfer over, I thought you could make an argument that Treat Street um, had a form and figure advantage in the spot. Certainly want the 8 and the 10 as backups, the two runners that you mentioned, to close out this pick six. Well, Nick, we appreciate you popping on here today. We're going to be reading you over at InTheMoneyPodcast.com, and we're going to have you back on soon. Sounds great, my friend. Pleasure was all mine. Last but not least, Racing at Del Mar is back. We're so excited about it. If you're listening to this right away, we also have a show with Michelle and Billy covering the Friday races. We talked about the last six today. We're going to talk about the last five on the Saturday card out at Del Mar. And the first man I'll introduce is actually... I'm pretty sure maybe new to the In The Money Airwaves, which is weird given how much I talk to him um, offline and get to hang out at him, hang out with him at events like uh, the Breeders' Cup and the upcoming Tucson Conference. We'll bring him in now from betting on content. Brownie, Andrew Brown, what's going on, buddy? PTF, it is great to be with you, sir. But you have forgotten, we did a, a six-week podcast series called The Good Oil Podcast on Australian Racing earlier in the year on the In The Money Media Airwaves. You are 100% right. First time on for a domestic racing, but we did sure. have the good oil. Maybe we'll get to bring that back. That was actually a really fun a really fun show, but you're absolutely right. That does count. But a man that you hear all the time lately, since he's been our main Southern California correspondent on uh, In The Money, we bring him in now, Dean Kepler. Dean, what's going on? Hey, Pete. Good to be back. Uh, good to have Delmar starting their uh, autumn fall meet here. Looking forward to it and uh, excited to be here. The Bing Crosby meet, indeed. It's one of my favorites. It's so chill. I'm going to be out there for closing weekend. And uh, I don't know, Andrew, maybe sleeping on your couch. We'll talk about that off air. Let's dive in to race number five. We've got an allowance race for these three-year-old fillies going a mile and an eighth on the turf. And as our guest, Andrew, um, we'll, we'll start with you. Brownie, who uh, wins the fifth? Yeah, I've kind of um, singled in on uh, number five, ballet dancing here. I think it's a, a race devoid of a lot of obvious speed, which does make things interesting. There could be some tardy fractions, but she's run well in both her graded stakes wins this year. Wasn't defeated all that far by Spenderella in the Del Mar Oaks over the summer. And, and Spenderella, of course, had form behind his spiral at Royal Ascot and, and spiral would win, win this by the 
same distance flight lane, won the Pacific Classic. Um, <laughs> hasn't raced for two months, but but has run well fresh previously, including a win at Santa Anita first off the layoff when she broke a maiden. So she's shown progression through her, her five lifetime starts and, and can continue. Raspoli jumps back on uh, after riding a two back. So she's um, the clear on top for me. I, I like one at a price number seven, Clado Cure, around 12 to one on the morning line. I thought she was finishing off her race really nicely. Last time out over the mile in one eighth, that's uh, Santa Anita, just behind another race rival here, eight, 16 arches. But yeah, it's um, five ballet dancing for me on top. The five, but the seven, I mean, at that kind of price, I, I'd say I'm definitely going to highlight that one in the notes we send around for this race as well. Dean, how about you? How do you see this one? Yeah, I kind of went in a little bit of a different direction to Brownie. I think the race uh, runs through the two Phil model runners, uh, the three-year-old fillies here. A school dance was an impressive winner of our Southern California unveiling last time, coming off a five-month layoff uh, after shipping in from Gulfstream. She's returned to work real well, and I think it looks like she's primed for another strong effort. Um, the other model runner, number eight, 16 arches, it's great as takes place. Comes in off a good second at this one in a mile eighth trip. I think she'll be motoring home from the back of the pack. And then um, those will be my main horses on my main tickets. And if you spread a little further, I would probably use the two and the five. The two with Pratt here is probably going to be on the lead by La Cherie. So um, I don't think there's going to be a, a ton of pace in here. So that's why I'm kind of leaning towards the horses. I think that'll be forwardly placed. Let's talk about the sixth race. Maiden claimers at the $50,000 level. Two-year-olds going a mile. Dean, we'll keep it with you. Yeah, sixth race here, Pete. Um, interesting enough, there's five maiden special weight to maiden claimer drop-downs in here. Um, and, you know, I, I think the, probably the winner probably comes through one of these races here. Uh, my top pick is number eight, Rich Gold, who hasn't shown much in three starts with trainer Pillen Miller, but takes that key drop from maiden special weight to maiden claimers. Uh, this jockey trainer combo are a very lucrative five for 11, almost 50% with a 3.27 ROI the past two years with this drop down. Uh, the eight rich gold will be my top pick. Some others I would use in here uh, would be number three, Local Luna, who um, uh, makes career start number two for Doug O'Neill. This two-year-old Colt is by uh, multiple grade one winner, Ransom the Moon. He stretches out after showing some brief speed and fading in that last effort. That'll be on my main tickets. And perhaps number nine, Post Facto, was also taking that key drop down here. It was turf the dirt for a new conditioner. And I think he's going to uh, – has a chance in here as well. But on my tickets, I'll be spreading with those maiden special weight to main acclaimer drop downs here uh, pretty wide. Eight, three, and nine, the three I'm going to highlight for Dean. Just a reminder, you can read his Southern California analysis every day over at InTheMoneyPodcast.com, and you can find him linked out from the handicapping section of the Del Mar website as well. Andrew, let's bring you back in to get your thoughts on race six. I agree with Dean. I think this is a bit of a spread race as well, um, and I am thankful that he mentioned number nine post facto because that's who, who I have on top. Um, the most interesting runner to me, as, as Dean mentioned, switches into the barn of, of Doug O'Neill. Uh, who finished fourth in the trainer's title over the summer. Um, this horse debuted over the summer, was a tad green uh, then and subsequently showed a little bit of improvement, I thought, at Santa Anita a few weeks back. But, uh, yeah, the switch to dirt, uh, along with the class drop, could be uh, could be the key here for the son of Mineshaft at what will be his third lifetime start. I think he can move forward. And um, a few numbers that I'll play underneath. Uh, number 10, Rain Over Me, uh, and three, Loco Luna. Uh, and if I'm going to putting in my B column, uh, the five and the eight. But yeah, a bit of a spread race for me here, PTF. 
I get it. I totally get it. I'm going to list. Uh, I like your push for the nine. I'll list that on your A line with the 10, <laughs> the three is B's, and I'll throw the five and the eight in as C's for those checking. And for those that don't know what I'm talking about, we for the in the money plus people, we send around little notes with digests of the picks from the shows, my interpretation of what the guests give us. Let's move to the Catherine Crosby stakes. We've got $75,000 in the pot for these Phillies and Mares, three and up, going a mile on the turf. Andrew, we'll keep it with you. Yeah, it's the, the seventh running of this race, and, and favourites are yet to win it. Um, well, I mean, there's only been six editions, I guess, but uh, the, last, the last three winners were all shippers. Uh, I, I think that the key to the race is, is the number four bipartisanship and number five, Burgu Alley. And, and given the price differential, I'm actually leaning towards more the four bipartisanship because I don't think there's a lot between them. Um, so bipartisanship was caught four wide the trip last time out at, at Keeneland and even copped a bit of a bump at the top of the lane, yet still knuckled down to finish just three lengths behind the winner, Fancy Martini, on that occasion. And, and that was her first run in around, what was it, six six or seven months. So, so I think she's going to strip fitter for it and and she should be cherry ripe for this. Um, and number five, Burgu Alley, the Phil D'Amato runner, Flavian Pratt, uh, been running well without winning in graded stakes races this year. Uh, generally at pretty big odds too, but looks extremely well-placed here on the class drop and, and, and is going to be tough to beat. But as I say, I'm just leaning towards bipartisanship over the five just uh, from a, a price perspective. Dean, is it as simple as these two at the top of the market, bipartisanship and Burgu Alley? Yeah, I don't have too much more to add to that. Um, this is a, a race here I'm going to try to single with the five that I think is lone speed. Uh, getting some class relief here. And, you know, I had a single somewhere, and I think this is the spot here uh, for D'Amato and Pratt. I think this is a wire, wire winner. Let's talk race eight. We've got Cal bread allowance types, Phillies and mares, three and up going six and a half on the dirt. A little bit more of a pace, it appears to me, in this spot. Dean, who's going to be able to get the money? Yeah, if the if an expected fast pace comes to fruition here, which I think it might be, I think it could set up nicely for number six, uh, She's Bulletproof, trained by Peter Miller. I think she should be closing strongly uh, through the stretch here with uh, Pratt back aboard. Uh, she comes in with some improving buyer pattern. I think the additional half a furlong will help. Uh, she'll be on my A tickets. Along with number eight, Vela, who is a reclaim for Jonathan Wong, who is another I think that will be a beneficiary of a quick pace in here. And then there's number nine, Tiger Spice, who's a perfect two for two. He now makes his first start for uh, the Dan Blacker barn. And this Philly by grade one winner, Smiling Tiger, has you know has done nothing wrong, has shown some versatility in the running style, uh, comes back off back-to-back drills. And uh, the last main uh, buyer speed figure in this field, top buyer of a 75. So I think there's still plenty of room for some upside. So 689 will be on my main tickets are spread here. And perhaps number one, Big Summer, I would throw in there if you had some additional funds on your pick five. Um, the horse has only had one one dirt try, but actually it wasn't too bad. And I think, you know, going dirt uh, turf to dirt for Carla Gaines here, he's in really great, great form right now, uh, coming off a win in a 1X at Santa Anita, going six and a half furlongs. And I think he, you know, he's bred to the dirt as well. So six, eight, nine on my main tickets and one as a potential B there. Andrew, how about you? What do you like in this penultimate race on Saturday? I agree with Dean with the six on top, uh, you know, strung a couple of wins together at the start of the year and has been there or thereabouts since. Nice spacing between runs, this being uh, her fourth run off the layoff. And, and Flavian has, has won on her previously too. She she 
can get back on back in her races, but with the expected speed, I think she'll be finishing it off nicely. Um, certainly interested in seeing how the track's going to play uh, Friday and Saturday before this race. Um, similar numbers to Dean from there, except uh, we, we, I, I like the nine, uh, as, as Dean mentioned, undefeated in two lifetime starts there. And uh, wider post position this time, but can muster and, and if not lead, at least be handy. So I've got nine in there. Three vegan. I don't know really what to say about vegans, but third <laughs> off the layoff should run pretty well. Um, Is that a hunch play time. for you, Andrew? <laughs> no, it's probably a reverse hunch play. <laughs> um, three vegan I'm going to throw in there and, and maybe two Delta wind. I don't really know what to think. Um, on her best run, she could win this, but extremely inconsistent for the uh, the flight line connections of John Sadler and Hironis Racing. The nightcap is a two-year-old maiden special weight going a mile on the turf. Andrew will ask you the key question. How are we going to get paid? I think Phil D'Amato holds the, the key here. Number eight, uh, Paul Polak, uh, a former Irish galloper, son of Star Spangled Banner. Uh, last out at Tipperary, sort of got back. Uh, I watched the replay, but stayed in touch with the leaders and then were nudged along around sort of two to, to three furlongs out, found the wire quite well for a, for a modest fourth. A little bit of San Diego sunshine on his back and some ocean breeze. I think he can find another <laughs> leg here. And uh, and number one, Ransomwell, Ransomware, who, who ran well on debut at Santa Anita last month um, and recorded some good speed figs. So I've got those two on top. And and, and number 10, we are just speaking about Dan Black, and number 10, Azure Star. Uh, just keep your eyes on Watch the Market. Certainly has the breedings to suggest we'll enjoy a mile on the turf. Dean, how about you? What do you want to use to close out this uh, pick five? Yeah, I certainly have the two D'Amato runners as well as the, on my main ticket here. One other that I will throw in as a price, 15 to 1 morning line is number three, Stocks, who I think ran better than his fifth place effort looks on paper October 7th. Uh, the Colt was slow. He was slow into stride uh, when the gates opened, but and he you know found himself stuck at the rear of the pack. But he made a nice wide bid to get himself into the race. I think he ran well enough uh, at first asking there. Came up only about four lengths short. I thought it was an encouraging try, and I think it can build off that effort. And he certainly bred, you know, to route on turf being by Kitten's Joy. So as a price there, um, I would use Stonks as two on some on some B tickets. One, eight, and three for Dean to close things out. Guys, we are out of time. I want to thank you. I want to thank all of today's guests. Let's thank our founding partners, 10 Strike Racing and the Thoroughbred Retirement Foundation. This show has been a production of In The Money Media. Our business manager is Breeders' Cup Betting Challenge champion Drew Coatney. Our chief creative officer is Jonathan Kinchin. I'm Peter Thomas Fornital. May you win all your photos.